People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. You're listening to Fine Music Radio, and this is Rodney Trudgeon welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note. Now, here's an invitation for you to step into a world of passion, tragedy, magnificent melody, and visual extravagance as Cape Town Opera and UCT Opera present La Traviata, Verdi's timeless masterpiece that will premiere here at Artscape on the 26th of October with direction and design by the well-known theatre maker Mari Bortslap, who's with me in the studio. And the Cape Town Philharmonic will be there, and La Traviata is, as I say, one of the most accessible and frequently performed operas in the world, and with some of the most recognised and revered arias. It's resonated with audiences since its premiere in Venice way back in 1853. Now, my guest, Marie, is... Apart from being the director of this opera, we'll hear about all the things she does. But uh, Marie, welcome. Welcome to People of Night. Thank you very much, Rodney. I'm very happy to be here. It's a great opera to work on, by the way. Well, no, let me ask you that question. Is it a great opera to work on? Oh, it's absolutely marvelous. I mean, it is a big opera. It is big, isn't it? It's grand opera really, isn't it? It really is. And I mean, it's so well known. So in a way, you feel like you're standing on the shoulders of so many that it's come before. Mm -hmm. But more than anything, the music is just exquisite. And um, I feel very, very fortunate to be working on this project, yes. Have you have you directed opera before? Because I know you have, and we're going to discuss all the sort of disciplines that you do. But is this your first opera, or have you done them before? No, this is not my first. I have directed Dido and Anais in 2016 for the Cape Consort. That was my first um, opportunity to get my hands onto the opera as a genre. But um, I've also... I've written a libretto and uh, directed that particular opera that was composed by my ex-husband, Vulcan Karlitz, um, as part of the one-hour opera projects that Magdalene Menard ran oh, at yes, Youngblood um, Gallery That's right. in 2019. So there's been more than one occasion where I could sort of, you know, find my feet, and now it's the big one. Mm. It's a, <laughs> I mean, in a way, I feel like it definitely is the first opportunity to work on an opera on this scale. Yes, and one that is so well known because yes. Dido Ananias is not that well. It's certainly not as well known as La Traviata. No, definitely not. And I mean, with Dido Ananias, you have a small cast where. With La Traviata, you know, we're almost 50 people on mm. stage. Because there is a chorus, a big chorus as a well, isn't chorus, there? A big chorus, absolutely. And all the soloists. Yes. How did you, well, how did you get chosen? How how did you come to yeah. direct it? You know what, I, I really believe it's a little bit of a date with fate <laughs> <laughs> or destiny. Because um, I literally just received a phone call from Magdalene Menard, the new artistic director mm. at um, Cape the Town lovely Opera. Magdalene. Oh, yeah, I love her yeah. very much. She's a dear friend, but also a colleague. You know, we've worked together on more than one occasion. And she phoned me early in June this year and said, I have an opportunity. Would you be interested? And I mean, needless to say, I didn't really have to think about it for too long. 
Um, that was going to be my next question. Did you decide almost immediately? I, I mean, I did say I would because it's a double cost. You know, we're working with a, a, a cost, a combined two co- combined costs from oh, UCC. two separate costs. So it's well, two separate costs, but wow. they made up out of a mixture of students from UCT Opera and Solus from Cape Town Opera Company oh, itself. Oh, I see how it works. Yes. Okay, okay. So that is a, a big undertaking because mm. it's not just directing one cast. And that was the only thing I wasn't particularly sure about. But then, you know, after thinking about it for a little <laughs> while, I said, yes, let's do it. Beautiful challenge accepted. Absolutely. And I didn't think of that because two casts you have to then teach um, choreograph for want of a better word every one of their moves yeah, so what we would everything. call blocking is done for both um and it's a it's a very time consuming process even if it's just one cast but after a while you get into some sort of interesting groove and then you know all right it's time to switch around and have different singers on the floor and um mm-hmm. i hopefully <laughs> we've done a good job okay. so far <laughs> have you marie have you do you know La Traviata? Had you seen it before, watched on DVD? I haven't seen it before. I mean, obviously, in preparation for this, I've seen quite a few versions that has been filmed over the years and also the films that's been made. But I did know some of the music before. I I mean, it's so well known. Mm-hmm. How, um, yeah. But I, am, I, I feel quite lucky that I haven't seen a stage production because that usually makes it very difficult for that initial part of the process to get over what is in your mind's eye already. So in a way, I I think it's a blessing because I could go to the page and it's blank and bring my own interpretation to it. But still, like I said, so very aware of the amazing productions that it's gone before me. Yeah, but and a challenge as well, because as you said, it's one of the big ones. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, everyone will know this. Everyone will expect something. Everyone will be kind of uh, intrigued by what you do. And I gather there is some um, departure from <laughs> tradition. <laughs> we'll come to that in a moment. Yes. But tell me about your first piece of music, which is not opera. Sinead O'Connor, tell me about that and why you've chosen it. That's correct. Um, it's a song called In This Heart. And it's from her 1994 album, The Universal Mother. Uh, as we all know, Sinead O'Connor recently passed. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't really think of that when I chose the song. It, it's just one of those songs that really speaks to my heart. It's a, a cappella recording of her um, singing from that very raw place that she possesses as a singer. And I, I don't really have a you know, a deeper reason than whenever I listen to this, I just, it feels like a stream of images gets triggered. And as a director, I find music like that to be very helpful in my Mm -hmm. work. Images must be very, very important for (laughs) your stream of images. Absolutely. Let's listen to Sinead O'Connor. In this heart lies for you My love, my 
Sinead O'Connor, and that was called In This Heart. And it was the first choice of my guest on People of Note this week on Fine Music Radio. Her name is Marie Bortslap, and Marie is the director of UCT and Cape Town Opera's production of La Traviata, which opens, incidentally, here at Artscape on the 26th of uh, October. Um, But we were just hinting, Marie, at your concept of this opera You've seen productions and all that, but you must have sat down with this blank sheet of paper and your mind must have started racing. What happened? So it's really interesting that sometimes in the process it takes a while for a concept to present itself. But in this particular case, it was really almost instantly that I knew I would like to tell the story from the perspective of Violetta I mean, the way I would put it is she's already dead. She has already passed. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Um, And we are looking at a flashback. Funny enough, when I spoke to Jeremy Silver, the conductor, about this idea, he smiled and he said that Zeffirelli did a film back in the 60s, and apparently that was his idea as well. The whole (laughs) film was set. You're in good company. (laughs) I I thought, oh, okay, I'll take that as a compliment. (laughs) Um, And... Very much from the beginning, there was a clear idea that I want to do it. I won't say, I. let me put it this way. I don't usually think of my work in academic terms before I start making it. It reveals itself to me. And then afterwards you go, oh, okay, this is this or it's that. 
What it turns out to be is a postmodern take on it. It's not a period traditional traviata. But that being said, I am I was from the beginning so deeply moved by the story and the music that I for no, you know, in no way I would like to put something out there that's unreachable for people to connect with. In mm-hmm. fact, it's the opposite. What I like to say is um, I've created a postmodern visual love poem. Oh, um, that's a lovely way of putting it. Yes. yes. So although it's stylistic, the set design is very clean. Um, we are not necessarily in a particular time period. Um, it becomes quite universal. Uh, there is a lot of emphasis on beauty and that was very important to me throughout. Um, it's also something I, I, I guess in a way as a designer I, I like more postmodern clean design in general but I still have a beautiful red gown for Violetta <laughs> and we have chandeliers and it's not like it's completely stripped of its essence mm-hmm. if, if I can put it that um, way. I, during the Tosco here recently I bumped into someone at the second interval and he said it's so nice because that was a very traditional production yes. and he said it's so nice to see something so traditional and not Euro trash. Ooh. I thought oops <laughs> because as you know yeah. sure Marie there are certainly in Europe and in Germany very very modern postmodern even trashy productions of great operas. So I'm glad you've not quite gone that route. No I haven't and I, I'm sure because we're also using um, I'm, I'm collaborating with quite a few people to make this vision a reality. And there's a, a video designer called Richard Thompson. We've been in an incredible process remotely because he does not live in Cape Town to also incorporate visual images as part of the design. And I cannot tell you how excited I am about that. It's poetic visuals. It's moving. It absolutely highlights Verdi's incredible music. It does not take away from it. So... If anything, I I really don't think people are going to find it to be trashy. Rather, (laughs) I hope that they will be pleasantly surprised. And I want to encourage people to give it a chance. Don't stay at home just because I'm using words like postmodern. Okay, that's a good warning coming there. But one of the things on your side, Marie, is that the opera is so popular anyway that I think people could do almost anything to it and the audience will still flock to see it. And this has already intrigued me because the other thing you mentioned, the sets and costumes, you say it's not really set in a specific period. What happens then with costumes? So I've decided... The red gown as well. (laughs) Yes. I've decided to, because we're not, you know, saying it's set in either... 2016 or 2008 or for that matter 17 something um, to rather look at the costume from a more almost want to say stylistic abstract perspective so what you would see on stage is quite contemporary but there's a deeper symbolic meaning behind everything and once we it's almost like we we progressively get away from realism deeper and deeper and deeper into what I like to call the the causal realm. It's it's that deep subconscious archetypal place in our subconscious as a collective. So by the time we reach Flora's party in Act Two, everybody is dressed in, I almost want to say, the kind of outfits that are more representative of them as how Mueletta remembers them 
as characters, not so much for what they actually wore that particular night. Oh, that's interesting because she is, after all, dead. This is a flashback. Flashback. So my perspective is to say she's looking at it from a from a place where time and space, the rules of time and space is absent. And mm-hmm. we have, um, I mean, of course, we don't really know, but I... I believe that once you have a broader view, you do see things in a different light. I'm sure you do. Um, And as a creative, you know, I'm not the first one to play around with these ideas. And I'm also a big fan of the work of Carl Jung, the psychologist. And I I think that the idea that there are certain archetypal images that we all somehow understand without even knowing why Mm -hmm. is something that's definitely found its way into my interpretation. and I do have quite a few themes that gets repeated throughout um, that people can also be on the lookout for. And I always find it interesting to see what people make of it. It's not just one thing. You know, right, right. Many and no ways. clues, no clues. Are there surprises? I mean, there are quite a few surprises in the sense that I think they will, quite, they will be a few moments where you go, oh, wow, because we've created beautiful spaces. Spectacle in the in the way it should be in opera, mm-hmm. with um, you know thousands of rose petals falling from the from the oh great yeah, uh, you know yeah, rooftop yeah, yeah. and um, I because I'm a lighting designer as well I've I've been you know even in the set design the lighting design sort of sneaked in and my my collaboration <laughs> with Fahim I'm very excited about what we're going to bring on that level it's magical. Uh, it's really going to be something that will hopefully not just move you because of the incredible music, but because of the way it's presented. Your, a your visual concept, feast. Yeah, a visual yeah. feast. Yeah. Let's have a musical feast now as we listen to your next piece, Looking for Knives, Diane. What is that all about? <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, it's a song that I, at this point in my life, it almost feels like a theme song to me. Um, I actually discovered the song fairly recently, probably about a year ago. Um, it's by a young contemporary artist. Um, she's a female singer. But the lyrics, oh, it just it strikes such a deep chord with me. And it, it has to do with we often set out with this very concrete idea that what we are looking for is this. But then life gives you the exact opposite. And then in retrospect, you find that that was exactly what you needed. And the whole song, you will, I mean, the lyrics is so beautifully poetic, is, is all about that and about embracing um, what life gives rather than being too set on what you think it should be. I'm looking for blood And they're giving me bones Directions back home. I went looking for knives, and they're giving me blooms. I went looking for knives, and I was looking for you. And I wanted a race, and I got a parade. Me blue. I went 
Diane, D-Y-A-N is the name of the performer there, and the song was called Looking for Knives. And it was a choice, the second choice of my guest here on People of Note this week on Fine Music Radio, Marie Bortslap, because Marie is here mostly because we're talking about La Traviata, which she's directing for Cape Town Opera and UCT, and which opens at Artscape on the 26th, conducted, as you said, uh, Marie, by Jeremy Silver. And I read somewhere, by the way, that it was his first opera that he conducted in South Africa. So it's clearly a special opera to him as well. We were talking about the production and costumes and all that. When you come up with an idea like this, this is for those of us naive that don't know how it all happens. Magdalene phones and she says, Marie, we'd like you to, to present La Traviata. Does she give you free reign, more or less, with your approach? Or does she say, I don't want this, I would rather have that, and don't do this and don't do that? Or how does it work? Do you come up with a design or a concept and then go to her and say, this is my concept? Mm. Yes. I mean, I'm not sure how it works anywhere else in the world, but I feel very lucky that I pretty much did receive uh, a blank canvas and I I had the freedom to, to come up with a concept. I'm sure if it was too far out they probably would have said listen we should probably (laughs) like look at this again but um yeah i i was very lucky that she trusted me to to just bring what i have you know in mind or whatever came into my mind's eye at that point you know as a creative it's it's so many things um when you start creating a, a a concept i I do find that every particular production, it's almost like there's a little universe that already exists for it. And that you, you tap into almost. Absolutely. You yeah. just need to become a, an open enough channel for the, for the information or the images or the ideas to, to, to stream through. And in this case, it was really that kind of experience. I haven't really been sleeping for almost four months <laughs> because it just never stops. Um, it, your it, images and your it, ideas. Yes, I feel, I feel a deep sense of, like I said before, destiny. It just feels like, ah, I, I, I'm, I'm meant to be doing this opera. It, it comes to me naturally and I, I find it, um, whether I'll be good at it or not, that's not for me to decide. That's up to the audience. But I've certainly been giving it my all mm-hmm. and I feel, I feel a deep connection with the work. When you have, at what, so uh, Magdalene phoned you in June. Yes. Um, and then you sit with a blank piece of paper. And then presumably shortly after that, there's a meeting with Magdalene. Yes. Where you come and present her with your ideas. And at that point, at that meeting, were most of your ideas solid in your head? Pretty much. Um, you know, you, you come and I'm not sure how other directors approach it, but I usually do a, quite a bit of you know, um, I take time to really put together a, a beautiful presentation so that they can get a clear um, idea of what I want to do, mm-hmm. um, including reference images and, and people that I've, you know, drawn from as inspiration. Um, and although, you know, the creative concept needs to be very clear right from the beginning, and I, I believe that's true for any director, because if the vision is not crystal clear it's very hard to know how to execute it Um, although that is clear and set as time goes by and there's different stages to the creative process it just keeps revealing itself you know it's almost like reading a novel oh yes (laughs) but you're in it Uh, it's very you're one of the characters you're one of the characters so you know what I'm for instance in pre-production I might have a very strong idea about what things would look like and then once I get to the rehearsals um, 
oh, it, it sort of changes in front of my eyes. And it doesn't necessarily change completely. It just transforms and maybe sometimes gets even better. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's usually okay. how the process works. And then and then, what about the sets? Do you, do you design the set or do you sit with the set designer and say, I want this platform there and this upright chair? And yeah. No, so so you've got in your head as well what it must look, look like, like physically. Absolutely. I... I guess it's a talent like anything else, mm-hmm. you know, that part is usually very clear to me. And um, because this is such a big scale, you know, I was lucky enough that the Cape Town Opera said they will ask Michael Mitchell, the Michael Mitchell, mm-hmm. to, to help me with technical drawings and that sort of thing, which is very important because, you know, in the theater world, we we can get by with, you know, using people that build sets on a smaller scale but in this particular case you know it's it's a big deal mm-hmm. um but exactly what it must look like the colors the shapes even to the detail of does the dining room chair have one slat as a backrest or two oh gosh that right, right. is is very much the kind of detail i'm interested in as a mm-hmm. designer and um it's not just white it's a particular shade of white and <laughs> um a white shade of pale <laughs> exactly um <laughs> so yeah i'm i find i am deeply passionate about detail it's not just Oh, it must look like that more or less. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's hard to work with me because of that, because most of the time I actually know exactly what I want. So often when you have to make decisions, it's like, no, it's not that. No, it's not that. But yes, it is that. Uh, and slowly it formulates in real life from your mind. Yes. Does the same happen with costumes? Yes. Um, with costume, it's been a really lovely journey with Rabia Davids. Uh I came, you know, I came to the production thinking I'm going to have to do the costume design myself. But as we collaborated, I, I discovered that I would like her to be a co-designer because she just has so much experience. And she really got my vision right from the start. So it made my life much easier because I am actually wearing multiple hats for this production. You know, I'm directing, I'm the set designer, I'm a costume designer. <laughs> it's quite a few hats. Lighting. And lighting is Fahim Badim, thank God. But the, um, like I said before, the, the set design already had lighting design components incorporated into it just because that's how I design. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and do they then make, uh, very often uh, Cape Town Opera has a huge wardrobe of yes. costumes. But are you suggesting that they're using new costumes for this? Absolutely. So it's a combination of because of what I'm doing. You know, it really depends on what a director wants. Mm-hmm. Um, for some of the the scenes, we, we were lucky enough to go into the, the established wardrobe and pull things to almost give them new life. And then in other cases, we started absolutely from scratch and it was wonderful to go this is the fabric and no I d- and because I've got two violettas you know you can imagine oh, yes. and they look different and they and they have different qualities so apparently this is all new for the at least Cape Town opera I didn't want to put them in exactly the same costume oh that is interesting so they um they do. They, they, I mean, it's the same color usually because I've got, you know, color is very significant to me and the symbolism behind colors. So it's not just a blue dress. It represents something. It's not just a magenta pink dress. It it means something. But they end up 
having different costumes, but the color palette's the same. Okay, that's interesting. And then they kind of develop with the costume and the color as two different violettes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, no one performer can bring the same anything to a particular character. Mm -hmm. And um, even in blocking, we've discovered that what what really works well for one uh, singer does not necessarily work at all for the other one. And um, I've been very open to that, to find what works. I guess because I'm an actress as well, I really understand the heart of, of what it takes to be on the floor. And you can't just copy and paste. You yeah. have to acknowledge that there's an individual bringing their gifts to play this particular character. Oh, then they must like you for that very much. I hope so. Also with the opera, I mean, it's a delicate subject in many ways because Violetta is a courtesan. She's a posh you know what and I suppose one could overplay that or underplay it but without losing the essence of the sort of elegance of the opera yeah I you know funny enough we really didn't spend too much time on that maybe it's because my focus is uh, you know I guess from the beginning was more about how do you redeem yourself from the judgments of society um, yes that's true and I I really also focus on the love story aspect of La Traviata. The fact that she's a courtesan is, is obviously a very big theme throughout because that's the reason why um, her lover, partner's father really d disapproves of this relationship. Um, but he's got one of the nicest arias in the opera. Absolutely. At the end of act two. Um, Scene one, the countryside. You're absolutely right. I, I, yeah, we somehow didn't get stuck on that, Good, and I I'm think glad. that's great. Of course, yeah. it's great. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, number three of your choices. What have you got for us? Desperado under the eaves, and it's a cover by Madeleine Peru. I just find this song to be so incredibly moving. No matter when I listen to it, I always eventually end up in tears. <laughs> it's, um, I think, for your listeners, it's this beautiful string arrangement at the beginning of the the song. And I love music in general that, that has powerful lyrics. And once again, in this case, um, I find the lyrics to be quite yeah, like poetic. Like your last song, like your last one. Yes. But there is a specific reason why I love the song so much, and that's right at the end. I find it so genius. The singer refers to the fact that they're listening to the hum of the aircon, and then all of a sudden this sound turns into this incredible symphony playing out. And, yeah, I mean, listeners will probably agree it's, it's very moving stuff. Hotel. I was 
That was another choice of my guest, Desperados Under the Eaves, Madeleine Peru. And my guest is the opera director now, Marie Bortslap, who's directed La Traviata. And right at the beginning of the program, I said you seem to have multi-talents, and you even joked that you hate being called a jack-of-all-trades and master of none. But clearly you are master of them all because there are a number of things you have done. Just tell me, how did you get into this world? Did you start as an actress or did you start as a director or a writer? Or what did you do? Oh, Rodney, I think it's, <laughs> you know, I've been directing plays basically since I was six years old. It, it really is, in my case, a matter of early specialization, as they would say, um, and because it feels like something that was given to me, I don't think I ever really made a choice to do it. It was just who I am and what I have to offer. And then as life, you know, evolved, I found myself in the position where I realized I'm going to make this my career. Yeah, great, yeah, yeah. I studied languages, however. I didn't go to drama school. Uh, I was writing and directing from the age of, like, my first play that I wrote and directed was when I was 18. Um, that was staged on a stage with lights and, mm, and all the of that. Thing, the, yes, proper the proper thing. thing. But I was also very passionate about languages, you know, since I was a child. And funny enough, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a singer as well. I, I'd, I had singing as a subject until matric, but not opera singing, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'm also, I come from a very musical family. My mother was an amazing pianist and... Uh, I was definitely raised with an awareness of the arts all around. Although I grew up in the Platteland, my parents made an effort to drive to Bloemfontein. I was born in Bloemfontein to take me to the theatre and to, you know, Good make sure them. we get a, yeah. a proper cultural education as well. I guess it's just who they are. By the end of my degree, I, I did, however, major in theatre studies at Stellenbosch. I just, I don't know, it got this hunch, this feeling that Martinez Basson is still at the drama department and I've got this major in theatre studies, which means if I would like to do a postgrad, I could go there. And work with him. And work with him. Wow. And it was really something that came into my mind. No one talked to me about it. And I went to the department and I asked them and they said, absolutely, um, you definitely, you know, qualify to do a postgrad here. And it was an incredible two years. I did. I ended up doing my master's there, and Martinez was my mentor for two years. And funny enough, he really introduced the idea of me exploring the idea of doing opera, because he could sense that in me, or mm -hmm. he saw something. He's a in remarkable me. person. I've had him as a guest on this very program Absolutely. some while ago. Um, a, 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 an intensely, an intense person, but interesting and committed. Very much so. So he introduced me and exposed me to quite a bit of opera while I was studying with him. And um, that was definitely the beginning of me considering the idea that maybe I could also try my hand at this. But after studying, I, I've been making theater as a director, a writer, a producer, a lighting designer, a set designer, not just for my own shows. I've also done lighting and set design for, for various other professionals. Um, I, I guess it's just my my calling. Your your passion, your your calling. Absolutely. It's, it's my calling. But then there's yeah. film as well. You've done yeah. you've done films. I've I've made a film um, 
in 2000, where are we now? 18. It did really well. I'm sure I will make more films at what some point. What was the point. name of the film? It's called Die Leeftijd van Orgedeer. It's an Afrikaans film. You can still find it on Showmax. Yeah, I, I, I guess it would be wonderful if I could make more films. But my heart is in, in live performance. I find okay. it... Um, but like I said, I do think there's some films waiting to be made. <laughs> to be made. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and knowing you, they will be made. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe even more opera after yeah, this. Yeah, that would be wonderful. That's I would so definitely nice do, do more opera. Um, do you listen to opera at all at home? I do. Um, and I find that that kind of world has a very deep emo it triggers me emotionally so it's almost like i understand even if i don't necessarily understand what they're saying i understand it, it uh, and I, I said to the singers yesterday we were busy with blocking and i wanted to put the violetta right uh, you know at the edge of the stage and she had a bit of hesitation and i said to her you don't understand what it does to a human being to receive the gift of an opera voice up close you know that is the magic mm, of course and i think when i listen to opera at home and i would often you know my friends said you know you have this ability to turn anyone into an opera lover <laughs> i would get my friends together and turn off the lights and i will give them a little bit of you know a background about what is this person saying what is the context and i will just play it on the on the stereo and most of the times, everybody is in tears by the end of that. Good for you. <laughs> a real ambassador for <laughs> opera. But let's, we're running out of time. Let's have another piece of music. We've got Nina Simone coming up. Yes. I chose Little Girl Blue. Uh, it's just one of my favorites from Nina. Yeah, I realize now all my music seems quite melancholic. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> but, um, we still haven't heard anything from La Traviata, but um, I see something's coming. Also particularly <laughs> melancholic. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just, I, I love the piano in this piece. You know, we all know Nina being an mm, incredible course. pianist. Yes. And um, it's such a simple song, but I find the layers of it to be quite exquisite. Sit there 
Simone there and that song was called A Little Girl Blue or Little Girl Blue and we're having lovely music you say it's melancholy um, my guest um, Marie Botslap who is here for a number of reasons mostly at the moment because of La Traviata and when you are working on something like La Traviata that completely absorbs you for so many months and then it opens it closes and then what? Oh, at this point, and then I'm going to be lying in the sun for a month. <laughs> no, you know, obviously there's always a, a deep sense of, wow, it's it's all come to to fruition and it's done now. But I I'm used to it by now in a mm-hmm. way. And so you don't suffer sort of anticlimax. Oh no, I absolutely do. I, I would lie if I say I I don't. But I think. My my little family is going to be really happy to have me back <laughs> and present. And um, I've got a little girl. She's only seven. So this very intense period of rehearsing for very long hours every day has taken a toll in a way on, on her. Oh, um, I mean, she's used to it. She was I was actually 
pregnant with her when I did Dido Nanais. So I always say to her, you heard opera before you even came into the world. Um, I hope she's going to appreciate opera one day. Oh, she's already very much appreciating it. I, I'm telling you that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's going to be downtime. It's going to be home time. Uh, yeah. Do you have another project yet? Not at the moment. But things pop up with you, don't oh, they? Oh, absolutely. You know, I've started to really trust that the, the work comes to you it finds you uh, you have to just give it your best shot when you do have an opportunity and I find over the years that is the best way to work mm-hmm. and then the next thing will reveal itself I have deep <laughs> trust and faith in that in things revealing themselves yes. as you've made clear in the yeah. course of this and um, uh, just a question that occurred to me w- would there have been an opera that you would have thought no I'm not going to do that or would it all have been a challenge for you if Magdalene said, we want you to produce, I don't know, ABC. Yeah, no, I don't think... You'd I take would, it all as a challenge, I wouldn't will, you? Yeah, absolutely. I don't mm-hmm. think I will say no out of preference because I believe you get sent what you need. Um, and sometimes it's not necessarily that you need to grow in a, in a difficult way. Like, uh, Traviata felt like a gift to me. I've been... I've been moved by the opportunity to, to do this work. Yeah. I, I really, I mean, it's been hard in many ways, of course. There's always, uh, you, you know, it's not easy. It's, it's a mammoth task. Yes, I'm sure. Um, I'm not trying to pretend that it's not the case, but I feel lucky. <laughs> what a lovely thing to say. And we're going to end now with some music from La Traviata. What have you chosen and who would you like to sing it? I have chosen Addio del Passato. It's an aria from the third act. Um, the sad act. The, sad, the tragic act. And yet somehow it's become my favorite in, in rehearsal. Um, and this particular aria, yeah, I mean, I can't even talk about it without getting <laughs> emotional. Um, it is exquisite. And it, it really sums up the heart of this opera. It's Violetta basically saying, may God grant me forgiveness for everything I've done that is probably wrong in the eyes of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, she's also in deep reflection about everything that has gone by. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the title, La Traviata, is also in this particular aria. And I would love for Maria Callas to sing it. Of course. It. I, was, I was going to hope you'd say Maria Callas. <laughs> yes. I've, I've listened to quite a few versions, and somehow she just knows how to get the emotional truth of it across. Which she did, really, in everything she Absolutely. did, didn't she? Well, thank you. We'll listen to that now to end People of Note this week. And I've been talking to Marie Bortslap. And let me remind you of the dates. La Traviata with Cape Town Opera and Opera UCT. It's going to run here at Artscape from the 26th to the 29th of October. So that's quite a short run. And if you, like me, have been stimulated by this conversation to see what Marie has done, make sure you get your tickets. Marie, thank you very much. Oh, thank you so much, Rodney. It was wonderful to spend time with you.
People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions.